I do want to read a passage of scripture to you before I get into the message. A lot of times I'll read it as a part of the message, but actually this is very appropriate because of the fact that we just got to celebrate some graduates. Uh, as they go out, they are not merely going out as graduates of a college, but they are being sent out by the church, in many ways by you, sent out as missionaries in different capacities. Sometimes it may be helping people in mental health. Sometimes it may be managing a store. Sometimes it may be pastoring or being a missionary. Whatever the role is, we send them out, not just as college graduates, but hopefully as those who are filled with the Spirit of God and will bring the good news and hope of Jesus Christ to the people around them. So as I read this morning, the passage I'm going to read from is Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. And this is, in many ways, it is the calling of Paul. We'll talk a little bit more about it later. But I was just thinking as I was preparing to come up here, this is so appropriate for these graduates that are preparing to leave this place. Acts chapter 13, beginning in verse 1, says this. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Serene, Manaen, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid hands on them and sent them off. I believe today that God is still calling people and he is still sending them out to do his work. And we celebrate again these graduates as we know God is going to do great things through them. Well, it is a blessing to have each of you with us today as we spend some time in the word and then we apply it to our lives in very practical ways but before I get into the message today, I want to take a few moments and remind you of who we are as a church. Sometimes we get caught up in everything else and we, we almost forget that there is a vision, there is a, uh, in many ways a purpose statement of the church. The theme of this church is making disciples who will make a difference. And we do believe that God is still calling us to do that. And we just talked about several individuals who are about to go out. Last week, I shared about the need for us to make disciples, people who will follow in our footsteps as we follow in the footsteps of Christ. And the natural byproduct of truly making disciples is that we will in turn make a difference in our world. The idea is that when we truly grab hold of discipleship, you don't have to try to make a difference. You will make a difference because now it is the Spirit of God that dwells in you. And obviously, it's not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So God loves the people that you come in contact with, and you'll have the opportunity to bless them and to minister to them. In fact, this fits with the theme verse for our church, uh, which is found in Micah chapter 6, verse 8. In this verse, the question is asked, and what does the Lord require of you? So as disciples of Jesus Christ, what does the Lord require of you? Well, Micah 6.8 goes on to answer that question for us. It says that we are to act justly, 
to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. We believe that when the body of Christ fulfills these three expectations, we will naturally make a difference in our world. Acting justly is obviously, that's about doing what is right, living according to the law of God. Loving mercy is about seeing the brokenness of our society and then doing something about it. And walking humbly with our God requires that we do things his way, letting him take the lead in our everyday lives. I can't help but believe that a church that does these three things will accomplish great things. Throughout the years, I've told people that I, wanted, I want God to do something so great that we become like Joshua at the walls of Jericho. I want God to move so powerfully within the church that when he accomplishes the task, that nobody could mistakenly give credit to myself or honestly anybody else in this room except to give glory to God for what he has accomplished. So that is who we are as a church, and that is what we seek to be. And I am so glad that you have chosen to be a part of that journey with us. Well, over the past several weeks, we've been looking at a time when God was doing such great things that the people were a little confused over who should get the credit. If you'll remember, last week we looked at the story of Peter and Cornelius. Cornelius one day receives a vision from God telling him to send for Peter. He sends for Peter. Peter receives a vision. There are men coming for you. You need to go with them. And Peter does. And he is there specifically to proclaim the good news of Christ. As he approaches, when he walks in the house of Cornelius, Cornelius actually bows down in front of him to worship. Cornelius assumed that this man was more than a man. Peter corrects him. He says, no, stand up, I am just like you, but I serve a God who is over everything. And what happened that day was Cornelius began to understand that there was truly only one person who deserved his worship. The book of Acts is technically an abbreviation. It's literally called the Acts of the Apostles. Yet many have suggested that it should be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit, as we see the entirety of the book revealing how the Holy Spirit moved among the apostles and the rest of the early church. No doubt this is God's story, and God is the one who deserves the glory. For each of the last three weeks, we've looked at sermons delivered through Peter and Stephen. Yet the majority of the sermons and acts are delivered through Paul. There's almost a changing of the guard that takes place here in our passage today in Acts chapter 13. Peter will continue to preach. Obviously, Stephen is done. There are other reasons for that. Peter will continue to preach, but he's not alone. Instead, Paul becomes a significant influence. Previously, he's known as Saul, but he is about to take more of a lead role in proclaiming the gospel message. But this change doesn't just happen because Paul is more likable than Peter. 
actually, Paul fought hard to keep this from being some sort of competition. Listen to his words in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10 to 13. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each, of you, each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? His point was that we are all on the same team. If Peter helped you find Jesus, great. If Paul helped you find Jesus, great. Either way, it's a win for the kingdom. In fact, it's not the responsibility of just one to proclaim the gospel message, but all. You want a simple application. I look out at this room. Pastor Wiggins is here in the room. Many of you came to Christ through the ministry of Pastor Wiggins. I have absolutely no quarrel with that. In fact, I celebrate the fact that you came to Christ through the ministry of Pastor Wiggins. He celebrates if you come to Christ through the ministry of Pastor Mike, because we're all on the same team. And the truth is, our goal is to see Christ glorified above everything else. It's not about the individual. It never has been. Now, a side note on this particular passage, I've heard it said by some that this verse means that you shouldn't have denominations either. And while I appreciate that sentiment, I will respectfully disagree. You probably haven't heard that because there aren't many pastors that will say that, but I actually see denominations as a good thing. There are legitimate theological differences that exist between churches. And lumping everyone together into one theological body actually robs us of the opportunity to process our own theology as being unique from other people. You can have more than one opinion on how things work in the body of Christ. However, what this does say is that we can find common ground among those who see things differently. My guess is that Peter didn't see everything exactly the way that Paul did. Apollos didn't see everything exactly the way that Peter did. That's not what the point was. They were able to find common ground, and that common ground was found in Jesus Christ. Now back to the call of God being upon all of us to proclaim the truth. The fact is, all of us are called to that. Specifically in Acts 13, we see God's call on Paul's life. I want to read that to you one more time. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Serene, Manaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So we start with five men who have gathered together for church. Please note that in the church, the phrase that is used here in that passage 
is not a specific location so much as it is a people. They didn't have a church on every other street corner like we do here in America. Instead, the church refers to the people who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter where they meet. When they meet together in the name of Jesus, they are meeting in the church. I know this isn't really in your notes for this morning, but this is an important point for you and I. I've talked with individuals. I've had people who have cursed in the church and they immediately apologize because they shouldn't talk like that in church. Or I've had other people tell me that the walls might begin to crumble if they were to walk into a church. We actually had a crack in the back of our sanctuary in our church in Pennsylvania, a very large one. I had a guy who he wanted to come and visit the church, but he told me very specifically, I, I, I'm worried that the walls might begin to crumble. So when he walked in, I looked up, I said, oh my goodness. And sure enough, there's this big crack. It was on purpose. I was just kind of having fun with him. There is this idea that the church is a holy place and their unholiness would be a problem. Well, their unholiness is a problem. And other people probably shouldn't talk like that when they're in the church. But the church is not limited to the four walls of a building. You are the church. In fact, as children of God, you carry the Holy Spirit's presence in you wherever you go. I wonder, do you see yourself that way? And if you do, does that affect the way you speak and act? I gave the example of one apologizing for cursing in church. Knowing that you are the church, that you are God's holy temple, the place where God chooses to dwell, does that keep you from using inappropriate language or gossiping or complaining? Or do those outside the body of Christ respect the presence of God even more than you or I do? So I want to get back on track here. That was just a thought that just kind of, I felt like needed to be addressed. The first thing that I want you to see in our passage today is that the Lord called these men. We have five brothers in Christ that have gathered together for church. We don't know much about several of them. There are some other details that we are we uh, we that were likely intended to help the New Testament church to know who we're talking about, but it probably doesn't mean as much to us. For example, Simon is also called Niger. This sets him apart from maybe Simon, who is also called Peter. Or you have Manaean, apparently a close friend, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. I imagine there was some notoriety as he was associated with this particular Herod. Let me suggest that the background of each one was likely beneficial for public identification and recognition. 
but it's not their background that causes them to be listed here. It is the fact that the Lord had called them out of their sin. They all had a history, but they would have been just like everybody else except for the fact that God had redeemed them for a greater purpose. He called them out of their sin. And your story is the same. Sure, other people may recognize you by certain descriptive terms. We've got Tim, the tool man. We've got Lee, the youth pastor. We've got Josh, the dentist. We've got Elaine, where's she at? Elaine, the cook. But what really matters is that you have been called by God into redemption and holiness. And I pray that this is what the world sees in you. Now, on this particular occasion, we see that the Lord actually calls two of them, two of these five individuals, to do something that's a little more specific. He instructs them to set aside Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. That means that God had a very specific plan for their lives. Now, it's unlikely that they fully understood this plan, but they knew that God was calling them to obedience. Together, they would form an incredible missionary team, going out and proclaiming the good news to those who had yet to receive the gospel. They would endure much difficulty in the years that would follow, yet they would produce incredible fruit as well. A large portion of what we call the New Testament would actually be written by this one who is called Saul, later known as Paul. Surely, they had no idea what all of this calling would entail, but God was definitely calling them, and they chose to obey. Let me say that I still believe that God is calling men and women to serve him in various ways. And that various ways is important. It will not always look the same. In fact, you may not have all the details regarding what it will look like for you. But I assure you that God has a plan for your life. And the most important part is not whether you can give all the details of what it will look like, but rather it is whether you are willing to answer the call when it comes to you. About seven years ago, Linda and I were very much content with where God had us. We were serving in a church in the Philadelphia area where we had seen great things happen, and there was no reason to assume that that would not continue. I've been contacted on a few occasions regarding pastoral opportunities in other locations, but there was never a sense of, this is what God wants us to do. And then one day I received a phone call from our then district superintendent here in South Carolina. He asked me if I could put together a resume and send it to him. He had received my name from another Wesleyan pastor here in the district, and he wanted me to consider coming to serve at Trinity Wesleyan Church. Immediately, I sensed a clear call that this was where I was supposed to be. I went home and I told my wife 
who before I could even finish speaking, she responded with, we're supposed to go, aren't we? And it was very clear to both of us that God was calling. And we didn't hear some loud booming voice. We didn't see a burning bush that began to talk to us. But God's call was very clear to both of us. And while I absolutely loved my church up there, this is absolutely the place God wanted me to be. Know that God is still calling people. It won't always result in a life-changing move to a new town, but he is calling you. Maybe he's calling you to meet neighbors or to meet a need. Maybe he's calling you to pay for somebody else's lunch. Or maybe he's calling you to become a pastor or a missionary. Will you respond to the call? Now, it's worth noting that this call for Barnabas and Saul occurs amidst a time of prayer and fasting. The church prayed. There are various times in the New Testament where we see God move miraculously simply because the church was willing to pray. Clearly, we see it in this passage, but consider a few other examples. On the day of Pentecost, the believers met together for a time of prayer and worship, and the Holy Spirit showed up, and it turned into an incredible day. Remember when Peter was in prison? And for sure, the next morning, he would die. But the believers gathered together and they prayed that somehow God would deliver him. And that's exactly what God did. While everybody else was asleep, an angel shows up. The chains fall off. The prison doors open. And Peter walks free and immediately goes to the house of those who were praying. You know, the book of James actually instructs us that if you have a need, that we are to call upon the elders of the church so that they may pray, so that we may be healed. There are countless other examples where we see the power of prayer from within the church. Do you still believe in the power of prayer? I heard a story once about a small town that was proudly alcohol-free. That is, until a local businessman decided to open a bar. A group of concerned Christians gathered together for a prayer meeting and called on God to intervene. Well, shortly after, in the middle of the night, lightning struck the new bar. It caught fire and was destroyed. The bar owner, knowing about the prayer meeting, grew angry, hired a lawyer, and sued the church. Their prayers were responsible for the destruction of his bar, he said. Well, the church didn't like that and hired their own lawyer to argue that the church was in fact not responsible for the bar's destruction. This led to a bewildered judge to observe how strange it was that the businessman clearly believed in the power of prayer, whereas the local Christians apparently did not. Do you believe in the power of prayer? 
Do you believe what Jesus says in Luke chapter 11, where he says, and so I tell you, keep on asking, you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Do you still believe that? Know that God has invited us to be part of a great work. And sometimes that includes us going and doing. But at other times, this will require that we simply pray. Please don't underestimate the importance of this either. I've often heard people talk of prayer as being the lesser partner in accomplishing the work of God. That is incorrect. There's actually nothing more powerful than when the people of God gather together for prayer. It is in those moments that we tap into the power of God, and it's not about how talented we are or how intelligent we are. It becomes all about God and his ability to work in and through us. Listen to me. I could stand up here and preach the most amazing sermon in the world, saying all the right things, and it'd be nothing but empty words. The worship team, which that was fantastic this morning, but they could stand up here and lead us in the most beautiful music with the most incredible lyrics, and it become nothing more than noise. But when we pray, We are actually inviting God to do what we are unable to do on our own. But it's more than just what happens in the church. The Apostle Paul writes in multiple letters that he prays for those brothers and sisters in the church. Often with prayers of thanksgiving or praying for strength. But the point is that the church ought to be praying for the church. When was the last time you prayed for your pastor, for the staff? When was the last time you prayed for the person that is sitting beside you right now? When was the last time you prayed for that lost loved one that was mentioned in Sunday school or in a small group? Listen to me. There is power that is available when the people of God pray. The last thing I want you to see today is that when the people prayed and when the Lord had called, the church sent and went. I want to look at this backwards today. We're going to start with the church went. Paul and Barnabas, upon receiving the call that God had given, they were willing to go. They know that this will likely include some discomfort. They would be correct. Paul in particular, we know that he'll be shipwrecked, he'll be imprisoned, he will be beaten, he will be hated. There will be times to be loved as well, but there's a lot of difficulty that would be associated with it. But They also knew that it was an honor that God would entrust them with such a great challenge. So they are willing to go. Please understand that if Trinity Wesleyan Church is going to be able to make disciples that will make a difference. Then we are going to need people who are willing to go. 
Go into your homes. Go into your neighborhoods. Go into your workplaces, into the recreation department, into the local city governments, or wherever the Lord will call you and bring hope and healing to a world that desperately needs it. And don't assume that somebody else will do it. You know, so often we look around us and we think, well, you know, that guy's really good at talking to other people. I think the Lord should use him to go reach the lost. Yeah, maybe so. And you. (laughs) The point is, if God is calling you to do it, he doesn't want me to do it. And he doesn't want somebody else to do it. He called you to do it. I've seen people who are really good at identifying what other people or even the pastor ought to do but they aren't walking in obedience themselves. Or they'll do it, but then complain the whole time because someone else didn't do it. (laughs) We are the church. If God lays something on your heart, you be the one to do it. It's part of being the church. As Barnabas and Saul are willing to go, the church serves as the sending agent as well. We know that they were willing to go. They went, but the church sins. This is twofold. On the one hand, the call has already come from God to you. I referenced it recently as we looked at what was referred to as the Great Commission last Sunday in Matthew 28, verse 18 to 20. Go therefore into all the world, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That is a call that is extended to all those who would call themselves children of God, those who would be followers of Christ. Go, therefore, and make disciples. The call has already been extended to you. You've been called to go and make disciples. That begins with you proclaiming the message and then you modeling before others what it is to be a child of God. So the Lord says, go. But in addition, I want you to know that today, as you walk out of this place, you are being sent by the church. I'm going to pray in just a minute. And as I do, I want to pray over you. It is a prayer of blessing. It is a sending out. I am praying that God would empower you and that God would do great things in and through you that God would open up doors before you ever get there so that God would already soften the hearts of others. That as you proclaim the good news that you have received, that others will receive it as well and that you might be the world changers God intended you to be. Before I do that, let me simply remind you We cannot do this alone. I'm going to pray that God would send you out and the church would send you out. But as I do that, I'm going to ask you to commit today to pray for the people who are with you. The church prayed. There is power in prayer. And I believe that same power is available. Pray now. But when we leave this place... Continue to lift up your brothers and sisters in Christ. We need that. We have seen answers to prayer, even in this group. We have seen God move in miraculous ways, taking things that seemed impossible and making them possible. 
We have seen financial miracles. We have seen physical miracles where individuals were sick and there was no hope and somehow God provided that hope. God is still able to do those things, but he calls on his people to pray. So I invite you to pray. If you would, bow your heads with me. Father, as we come before you now, Lord, we thank you for this privilege of prayer, the opportunity to communicate with you, the God of heaven and earth, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who is perfect in every way. Father, it is truly an honor for us to come before your throne. May we never take that for granted. But we believe that there is power in prayer as well. And I do pray right now for these people, for every individual who is here, everyone who's watching online. Lord, I pray that you would fill us with your spirit and that you would accomplish far greater things than we could ever do on our own. Father, I thank you today that you have called us out of sin. And I pray that you would help us to go and bring the same message of hope that we've received to the people around us. I pray that you would open up doors so that people that maybe right now, they're not even interested in what the word of God brings, but suddenly, Lord, you would begin to speak to their hearts, that you would cause them to be open. And Lord, I pray that you would allow us to speak boldly into their lives, to proclaim this hope that we have. And to know that you desire a relationship with them. Lord, I pray that you would use us in the public world. Lord, I pray that you'd use us in city council and in recreation departments, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, wherever it may be. Lord, I pray that you would open up doors for us to simply be a light to a darkened world. Father, I pray today for your anointing to rest on each one of us. Lord, help us not to wait until three or four weeks down the road to respond to your call. Lord, I pray that you would call us today to go and to proclaim the good news of Christ to those whom you've placed in our lives. Lord, we send out the church today with your anointing and your blessing. And we pray that as you pour out your spirit on them, Lord, that the world would know that it is the spirit of God that dwells in them. Fill them. Use them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Several years ago, I preached a message similar to this, different text. I knew nothing of the response of people. And it was about, I would say it was back in the spring, because we were not yet meeting together inside of this building. An individual stopped by the church He said he saw my truck out there and he just wanted to stop and tell me he had been in the services that Sunday morning. It had been a couple years earlier. He said, I had preached this message on the need for us to answer God's call to go and proclaim the good news. Unfortunately, he was not in our church very often, but he was that Sunday. He said he walked out of service and he knew immediately that he needed to respond. And he went to his mom who was in a nursing home. She was not doing well, but mentally she was still able to process what was going on. He said he was able to lead his mom to Christ that day. 
Within two weeks, his mom had lost the mental capacity to understand any decision that she was making. And he was coming to me because he had just they had just had the funeral for his mom. He said, I want you to know that today I know my mom is in heaven simply because he responded to the call that day. Who knows who will end up in heaven because you choose to respond to the call of God today. I pray that God would produce incredible fruit through you. Thank you for being with us this morning and go in peace.